This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Bet Online, DoorDash, NFL Sunday Ticket.tv, and Regents Field. Go check all of them out on their various websites and listen to their ads as well if you'd be so kind. So today's going to be interview day here. On the podcast, we're going to hit on a couple of things here really quick, then we'll get into a ad break, and then we're going to have former Detroit Lions and Seattle Seahawks offensive lineman Rob Sims on the show. We chatted for a while last month, and it was a pretty intense conversation. We get into what he's doing now, which is working with Calvin Johnson in the cannabis industry. We get into some social justice stuff and what the locker room was like back a few years ago when he was on the team. We get into his career It was a really fun and insightful conversation that I hope you get some things from. Before we get into that, just really quick, obviously a couple of things of note within the world of the Lions today. Daryl Bevel, Corey Undlin, and Braden Coombs all spoke to the media today. Here's a couple of quick takeaways from that. I, I mean, we've talked a lot about Adrian Peterson over the last few days, and really how he might be used. After listening to Daryl Bevel speak on Tuesday, I'm more than ever convinced that Adrian Peterson should have a role in this offense immediately, and don't be surprised if it's actually a bigger one than you think. Bevel seemed, based off of the way he was talking, saying that, yeah, they have enough carries for him and for on Johnson. If they're saying that right now, then they clearly have a plan for Peterson, and I I think you're going to see Adrian Peterson get a good amount of work as they try to probably limit on Johnson and keep him from getting injured. Again, that's just how I'm reading tea leaves at this point. We won't really know anything until Sunday afternoon, probably around 4 o'clock, when this game is between the Lions and the Bears has concluded. And that will give us some real keys and real clues, especially with the run game, since so much of what we have seen during training camp was difficult to read because of injuries to... Swift and injuries to Johnson, injuries to Scarborough, and then they didn't even have Adrian Peterson on the team. So you look at all those things and you say, okay, well, what's this running back rotation going to potentially look like? And I don't really know, but again, after listening to Daryl Bevel, I have to believe that at the very least, 
Adrian Peterson will get a good amount of work here. I don't think he'll be the feature back, quote-unquote. I don't believe they're going to have one of those. But I expect Adrian Peterson to get at least a decent amount of work here Sunday against the Bears. A couple of other things that I thought were fairly interesting. Corey Unlin apparently thinks my name is Rick. Uh, he called me Rick, or it sounded like Rick, multiple times when I was asking questions. I've gotten a lot of names in the past. I've never gotten Rick, so I laughed at that. So uh, I did ask Unlin about Trubisky and why he feels like he's had success against the Lions in the past, and that he basically said, you know, listen, that could be a two-hour conversation, but, quote, the guy had two really good days against the Lions, what I'm concerned about right now is tomorrow morning's meetings and putting a solid game plan together, whatever that may be. End quote. There was more to that. It's been three good days for Trubisky against Matt Patricia and the Lions. But his point is, listen, this is a new defense. This is a new year. And Unlum, for the first time, is calling plays. He said that you know, emotionally, it won't be any different for him. Mentally, he knows it's going to be a little bit different, and he's had to control the whole defensive room instead of just the defensive backs. That's been a little bit different. So it's going to be interesting to see how he handles this. That's going to be one of the things I'm going to be watching for on Sunday. We'll talk about that more a little bit later in the week. And other than that, you know, I don't think Unlin really gave away a whole lot. Don't think there's a great grasp on what they're going to do with Okuda yet. Although, based off of the way he talked about Okuda, he said that Okuda is, quote, farther into the process than he was the last time I talked to you. We've got four more days left and we'll see where it goes. Jeff's going to have a role on this football team. I can tell you that. End quote. I don't think that's a surprise. The question is whether or not he ends up starting week one. At this point, I would lean toward Amani Awarie, but we'll see what things look like in very small windows of practice this week. And leading into Sunday, I imagine Okuda will get some time at corner, but I don't expect him to play every snap. Special teams coordinator Braden Combs also talked. I asked him about walking me through the team's decisions at punter and at long snapper, where they kept Dal Mulebach and they kept Jack Fox over Stephen Wordle and Aaron Sippos. I thought his answer was interesting when it came to Mulebach, which is they're going to have a new punter, new pump protector, new coordinator. He wanted some familiarity in there for Matt Prater and for everybody else. And Dal Mulebach offers that where Steven Wordle does not. Wordle, of course, is on the practice squad. So I think that's going to be something to watch if Mulebach doesn't look great or if the operation on special teams just isn't going well. Uh, Here's part of that quote. Quote, it wasn't anything that Steve did wrong. Like I said, he had a great camp, and I think we're excited to have Mir continue to develop him as a player. End quote. To me, I think that this says they view Wordle potentially as their long-term answer at the position, and it's going to be on Mulebach to make sure he keeps his job throughout the year. That's how I'm reading that. As far as punter goes, he didn't really give away a lot other than saying that Jack Fox really handled himself well in every situation. He said it was a close call, said it wasn't kickoffs that were the determining factor. Fox had handled kickoffs in college. Sippos had not kicked off a ball until March of this year. That, they said, wasn't something they were concerned about based off of what they saw from Sippos by the end. Sippos obviously also on the practice squad, but... Yeah, it seems like Fox might have a lot more leeway than even Mulebach does when it comes to his job. 
But the fact that both of those guys are on the practice squad, I think, means that both of those competitions might not be anywhere close to over just yet once games start to get going. So that's going to be something low-key, I think, to pay attention to. We'll be back right after this break in chatting with a guy who's part of the Lions for a half decade and had 10 years in the NFL, Rob Sims, the former offensive lineman. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. I'm hungry just thinking about that. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. And Sunday, Sunday, Sundays, they're coming back to the NFL. That's right, it's happening this Sunday, even Thursday, just a couple days away now. But with NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite team's and your favorite players. So if you're not in Detroit's market, for instance, and you are a Lions fan, check them out there because guess what? They've got Adrian Peterson now. So no matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. And hey, if you are looking for a place to watch a game on Sunday, Check out Regents Field in Ann Arbor. They're back open now. They're open from Tuesday to Sunday. They're open and they've got live TVs. They've got outside seating where you can watch those TVs. You've got free ski ball, free darts, and even some free video games, including NBA Jam. So go check them out on South Main Street in Ann Arbor. And yeah, it's a fun time. Now, back to our show. My next guest on the Michael Rothstein show played offensive line for the Seattle Seahawks and the Detroit Lions. He was part of the 2014 offensive line. That was maybe the best team that I've covered in my eight years covering the franchise. And before that, all of that, he played for Ohio State. Rob Sims, welcome to the Michael Rothstein show. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. Always, always good to connect with you. So, but I've I've started a lot of interviews lately with kind of like what has the pandemic been like for you? And there's been so much going on in the world in the last week that we're going to get to that too. But I want to kind of stick uniform. What has pandemic life been like for Rob Sims? Uh, well, you know, it, it's been very interesting and, and been challenging for 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 me and my family. Uh, one, we've got you know we've got three young kids. Uh, you know, we got nine, nine, seven, and and two. Uh, so uh, quite a challenge them being out of school there in the spring and, and, and trying to figure out uh, what's the move for them coming up this fall. So that's been a hot button issue in our in our house and keeping my wife sane through in the whole <laughs> through in the whole process. And, uh, <coughs> you know, for me, um, we just opened up our 
excuse me, our cannabis facility. And uh, cannabis was ruling the central business. So um, for the first time in my life, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, in charge of managing a group of people and uh, really having to, you know, not only walk my family and my children through it, but our, you know, our business that continue to stay open. Uh, so it was, a, it's been a lot of challenges, but, uh, you know, everybody has stayed healthy and uh, I think I'm most thankful for that. We, just to hit a little bit on, on the business, why don't we just do that right now? Walk people through what, what the business is. You're partnered with Calvin Johnson, for those who yep. don't know, and maybe I haven't read about it. Walk me through what the business is and, and what, you, what your goals and plans are for working in marijuana and cannabis. You know, I, I think uh, the story kind of starts out back when I was uh, I first retired. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know, but I, you know, I, I started investing in real estate and real estate companies when I was still playing for the Lions and actually had, you know, people like Darius Slade, that were rookies that were renting some, I was their landlord and they had even, they had no idea I was even their landlord back. I mean, that had been six, seven years ago. <laughs> and, um, after I got out, you know, I was part of Remax. Uh, I owned a title company. I owned a mortgage company that I have since sold. And I really had focused my efforts into investing in a Detroit residential real estate. Um, you know, you can run out of money real quick when you find some of those, uh, those good deals down there. Uh, so we I tied up a lot of capital and needed to, uh, needed to find some investors. So I uh, went, went back to some of my teammates, um, about a handful of guys that did some, did some early deals with me and we were successful. Uh, we are one of those people was Calvin and uh, obviously Calvin uh, you know, he has the, the, you know, the capacity to go much more than just a, a, a small residential house in Detroit. Um, so we kind of, we kind of built, um, we bought, kind of built an idea and a business about how we would kind of attack real estate. Um, also try to help some, some players, uh, some help some players transition out of the league like we have. So we kind of formed locker room consulting, which, uh, you know, ultimately is going to be a company that just helps guys transition and helps guys invest in deals as me and Calvin have. And, uh, one of our, one of our early deals was a, a opportunity in cannabis, uh, cannabis real estate. Uh, as we just kept going, we realized that, Hey man, we can, we can get, we can get more involved in, in the, the licensing part of this business. And, you know, we ended up deciding to run the business for ourselves and we're the majority and, uh, and we have an operating facility now and, you know, we have uh, two more retail opportunities that will come online here shortly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just been really fortunate to kind of move the ball forward. And, you know, then we've got, we had some opportunities with some, uh, uh, you know, some, some brain optimization companies, a company called Nestry, uh, that uh, we found that we found some, 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 hopefully some, some treatments or some, um, opportunities for guys that are experiencing some things in CTE to kind of go and and, um, and, and and train their brain to, to kind of be stronger. Uh, so, and then that kind of led us to Harvard, which uh, we wanted to do some scientific research in cannabis. And we've got a lot of fortunate things come our way and uh, we're just continuing to move the ball forward on our end. You mentioned cannabis real estate. What do, do are you talking cannabis and real estate or is there something actually that is cannabis real estate that I just don't know what that is. Well, you know, you know, you can't just put a dispensary or a grow anywhere. You know, these are in designated places that a municipality may deem, you know, the green zone or whatever. So 
you know, we really focused on those green zones and buying up property in those green zones that we would then either sell or lease to other people that wanted to be in the industry. Um, and they said, we, we, uh, we found a couple of early deals that we, we took, you know, took advantage of. And, and then we saw there was, there was a much bigger opportunity that we could, you know, that we, that we had in front of us. And, uh, you know, we just, you know, one good thing about me and Calvin, we kind of just dove right into it. You know, not that we didn't make mistakes along the way, but have been able to persevere and have a uh, have a have a have a uh, up and coming business. So this all st- so really it wasn't the the two of you weren't necessarily looking into maybe going into the cannabis industry at first. It was more you saw it as a real estate proposition, and then it turned into that after. Is that would that would that be accurate? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's accurate. We we were not we didn't we didn't have cannabis as being the you know, the, our focal point, everything was based around real estate and my experience in real estate. And, you know, when I really realized what the plant could do for myself, my, you know, my, my wife medicates with, with cannabis, you know, some other family members medicate with cannabis with some of the other health issues that they deal with. I realized that this was something I really was more of a, uh, you know, it was more of a something that we could bring that was something that could actually help people. So, you know, that's always been our focus. Me and Calvin are very been, you know, very community driven. <coughs> and, uh, um, excuse me, we found, uh, we just found that being in this space and being on the forefront of the research, it kind of just evolved into that, man. And, uh, at first it was, it was just all about the real estate and, um, it just evolved. It's pretty crazy. When, like you going back to the real estate piece for a second, like you said, you were Darius Slay's landlord. You were landlord for other players. Did they? At, when did they figure out that you were their landlord? Uh, probably after they moved out, and I said if the place was uh, if the place was messed up, they wouldn't get their security deposit back. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I had a, uh, you know, I had some people managing the property for me. Uh, you know, so some of my properties I still have people managed it for me. So, um, you know, it was. It was important that when I retired, that I would be able to give my family more of me uh, and uh, not be gone all the time. So, uh, you know, I really put some people in place and infrastructure in place right, when your water got shut off. And I and in the room with those guys, and those guys would be talking about their place. Liked it or didn't like it or whatever. And, uh, you know, I was a couple of knockers over. So it was, it was always pretty interesting to me. Would you, would you then go to the property managers if you heard that in the locker room and be like, hey, what the heck's going on here? Or would you just kind of sit there and stew? Or, like, would you just say, I, I just own this thing. That's not my problem. <laughs> well, you know, that's the, you know that's, the, that's the thing with it, man. You know, I, I loved all the guys I played with. Um, you know, I never took it personal. I just always thought it was funny. You know, I had this, I had this unbelievable insight to, you know, my, you know, my tenants and they, you know, we, the relationship, I could keep my relationship as a teammate and not as the bad guy. So, um, you know, there, there were, there were times where I would have to tell the people managing the property for me, like, Hey, you'll cut this guy a break or, Hey, I heard this, you know, we may want to, we may want to check into this, you know, there, there were there were times where I would hear things and I would just go check with the, the, my property manager to make sure everything was okay. Uh, but you know, I was just I was it was really fortunate to just kind of 
it's kind of be a fly on the wall. And I said, you know, you got these these 20 year old millionaires that are, you know, got the got the, got the world in their hand and they're having a great time. Uh, you hear some pretty interesting stories. So it, it was funny, but all in all, it was a great experience, and we, you know, made made it through. What was Slay's reaction when he found out? You know, I think, you know, I was always like the, you know, the older, older statesman with those guys, especially Slate. Yeah. And I remember him being like, oh, man, that's how you do it, huh, big dog? And I said, yeah, man, that's that's how you do it. He was like, you got to buy it. You got to buy the property. Uh, you know, property and property is, is, is huge, man. You need to get into it. So he was more he was more in all that. You know, he had been renting for me for, uh, you know, three or four years. His first contract was all under was all under. Uh, one of my properties, and he, you know, he he had no idea that whole time. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it was it, it's it's pretty interesting, but you know, it was good because it kind of got my name out in the locker room as like, hey, you know, Rob is the guy to kind of go see about properties and investing in real estate and that kind of thing, and like, you know, things just evolved from there. So, I'm, so, I'm grateful. so, so once the it kind of gets out after Darius moves out at that point, can you not really hide it anymore or because it's property managers that are running it guys still didn't know or, or don't still know to this day? Well, you know, in the, in the NFL, there was so much turnover, you yeah. know, these, this, and um, you know, this was part of my, my, my later part of my career. So I held those properties well after I was out of the league and was still renting to the players. So there was a, there was a lot of guys that I didn't know very, I didn't know personally. Uh, uh, while I was in there, but uh, the word was out that I was in real estate, but it was still guys that may have known me that didn't know I was the landlord. Now, you obviously, this all started through locker room consulting in many ways. And yep. just what what was the goal? Because like you said, it was, try, it was trying to transition players from the NFL to post-NFL. And I think both of us know and have seen stories of – players who have really struggled in those areas and in that area. What, what is the goal of the consulting company in that? And, and how do you go about doing that? Um, well, you know, I think the story starts for me is like, you know, my, my father played in the NFL uh, for three years for the Browns and my father-in-law played in the NFL for nine years for the Dolphins. Um, and just really, really interesting that I had this unique upbringing and also adulthood of what it looks like after football is done. I think that's pretty unique. You know, it's probably a couple guys that current guys that play now is they grew up with their father being in the NFL and a father-in-law or spouse's father being in the NFL that, you know, I just felt that I had the experience and I knew the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I just wanted to provide a place where, you know, guys could invest in real estate because really, um, for me, it was just really easy to pick up. You know, there's not a lot of moving parts. You can kind of be your own person and your own boss there. So I kind of wanted guys to understand that and understand properties and investing. And, um, you know, didn't realize, like, you know, just just that is not enough. I've got to continue to, you know, teach myself how to, you know, you know be better with my finances. You know, I need to learn how to uh, – take care of my body. I got to learn how to do things like that after I'm done playing. So we kind of started to start to navigate what that is. So really from a holistic approach, you know, I want players to come into our system and 
really learn how to be their own CEO. And we provide support and however they want to do things, whether that be philanthropy or real estate or whatever else they're doing, or, you know, they want to make sure their body's taken care of, or they want to, you know, financial literacy programs, just want to be introduced to, to our circle. So that, that's really how Locker Room was born. And, um, you know, we still got a long way to go to put all that curriculum together, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Do you have players in your system now? Uh, you know, to be honest, for me, Calvin was like the first step. You know, he was the first step. Um, you know, me and Cal did lots of business together where it, it almost, you know, turned into me. He shared the same vision where then that made that turned into it being us. So, um, you know, there's a handful of other guys that have been close and we have done deals with uh, that we are still trying to bring in and do deals in either cannabis or or do deals in, 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 in other real estate projects, non-cannabis related that we're looking at. So um, we, we do, we, do we, have, we have lately have gained some traction. And I think that's a tribute to this big project, the big cannabis project that me and Calvin did coming to fruition and being operational. We're now having guys out to kind of look through that and they can see like, oh no, this is, this isn't, we haven't thrown this together. This is very detailed. We spent, you know, we spared no expense on how things would look and feel and, uh, you come and meet our team and you come meet the way we're trying to run our team and our culture and everything that goes into being a good business owner. We actually have that built now. Um, so, uh, you know, we expect things, we expect things to continue to flourish. Switching over to kind of the second part of what I, I said, we hopefully we talk about at the top, which is what's been going on in sports in the past week, which in a lot of ways started with the Lions on Tuesday when they processed the shooting of Jacob Blake by not practicing. What was Absolutely. your reaction? Because you've been in that building for you, you know, you were in that building for a half decade. You're still around a good amount. Yep. What yep. was your reaction when you saw what the lions did Tuesday? You know, I think, I think more or less I was just proud. You know, I was, I was proud of the players um, for using that platform. I mean, look, I, I built my business and, and the way I want to move forward off, off the platform of playing in the NFL and being attached to the people in the NFL. And I thought it was, you know, so I understand what that's worth, what that social capital means. And to see those guys do that, be one of the first groups to do that, just speaks volumes to, one, we got a good group of players in there. And I think, two, is that, you can see that the management and the new things that have gone on there, you can start to see that they are trying to change the culture, which ultimately is the real answer to Detroit having a winner is the culture has to continue to grow. And um, you, you're starting to, you're starting to see that. And I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just so glad we're seeing more of it. And just, I, I would just say just pride, pride that I was, once a part of it and, you know, still a, still a part of it and associated with it, with, you know, being a, being a former player of theirs. Do you think that when you were playing the locker rooms you were in would have done something similar potentially, or was it not at that point yet in the NFL? You, you know, I think, and I, and I think if you went back and polled a lot of players back then, um, you know, 
what is going on in the country and the progress that we're seeing, no matter how small or big or whatever it is, you know, when we were when we were playing, you didn't have this, you know, you didn't have this this group saying it'd be hard to get a group to go do something like that. And for for non-black players to do that, and for the coaches to support that, and the management to support that. If we did it back when I was there, absolutely not. And I think people like Kaepernick, Ka- Kaepernick, who were the pioneers of that, and they, you know, they had a, they got a raw deal because of that. But things like that are have paved the way for things that happened the other day and happened this week in sports, not just in, not you know, not just in our city, but around sports. I mean, this thing goes around the world, you know. So you know, you've got you know how many players from 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 across the world that play in the NBA now that are wearing Black Lives Matter shirts and that kind of thing. Like this thing has taken a whole new set of legs. It's a shame that it gets sparked by these killings, uh, but it is our opportunity to make change. We just really need to execute. We need to get a plan and we need to execute that. When it, I, and I asked that because I remember back, I had to look whether it was 13 or 14, but it was 14 after the after Eric Gardner was killed that Reggie Bush wore an I can't breathe shirt in a pregame and I remember how big of a deal that was that he did that then do you remember what what that was like then was there talk among whether it was just black players or the team in general that about maybe doing something more then because Reggie was one of the few players in the NFL that had done anything to speak out at that time yeah, you know, that's that's interesting. And just, you know, full transparency, you know, back then, I'm not even sure if I was ready to do that. You know, I was very concerned about making the team next year and being a part of this. And, and, and to be honest, may have been, you know, not as, you know, not as cognizant about what was going on as Reggie was. Um, you know, I'm, Reggie's still a great friend today. I'm proud of, of that, you know, like I'm saying, guys like Kaepernick, guys like him, and you know, were – in a position where they were comfortable to do that. Or even if they weren't comfortable, you know, they had, you know, they had the, the bravery and they were courageous enough to do that. And not every black player was like that, you know, and a lot of white players we saw from how Drew Brees answered some questions earlier this year, it wasn't really on their radar. You know what I mean? Not that they wouldn't be concerned, but that it's just not on their radar. And it's not clicking. And, you know, you know, absolutely. If you look all that time when I was playing, you know, when Kaepernick was kneeling, you saw one, maybe two, maybe three guys a team. Uh, but very much so, the rest of the guys in that locker room, I could tell you were not to a point where they were putting their dollar on the line and putting their well-being on the line for the calls. And that's, that's the truth. Uh- I'm going to follow up with maybe this, and this may be a weird question. You may not know the answer to it, but obviously DeAndre Levy's a player, I think that was very before his time, before his time in being very open about social issues. Did DeAndre say anything between DeAndre and Reggie? Were were both of them doing anything? Or was that even maybe before DeAndre a little bit, because he was still very much in that make it kind of maybe the similar mode to you were where you were. Yeah, you know, I think, and and, and to piggyback what I was saying last time, you know, I think we had a lot of conversations internally, 
you know, uh, I, you know, me and DeAndre played for three or four years, and me and him never really talked that much. He was kind of a quiet guy. Yeah, and I was kind of an outspoken guy. If you know DeAndre, but, yes. Uh, <laughs> but um, you know, I mean, I I don't remember him being that voice in the locker room about that. But you know, going back to my point, you can see when guys leave the game, pressure is awesome, and what their kind of thoughts are, and you know. You know, great, great for the guys who who, who were who were able to do it under that 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 pressure, whether it was there or wasn't there. Uh, well, there was pressure there. Let's be let's be honest. Kaepernick was getting he was getting ran through the mud. You know what I mean? So absolutely, there was pressure. But that just goes to show you, like, if if that's why I'm so proud of what the Lions are doing. Like, you're not you're not only you're, you're not only allowing the players to do it, you're doing it with them. So. It, and it's important to you just as, as how much is important to them. And to me, that's what I think is, is the biggest difference of where we are. There are only a couple of players that are left on the current Lions from when you were there in Stafford and, and Don. Yeah. Have you talked Dom to them? Yeah, Don Mulebach, man. He's, he's, been there, he's been there forever. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I just wonder. <laughs> did he? Did you reach out to them in the last few days? Have you spoken with them? Because, I mean, that's really your own only two real connections left to, I've, I'm guessing, many in the organization, at least from your time playing there. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, haven't, I haven't reached out to Matthew. You know, my, my wife is, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, Matthew just had the, the last, their, their, what is that, number four? Yeah. And they have four, four girls now. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I contact Matthew every once in a while because I understand that, you know, first, first of all, he's, he's got a he's got a he's got a big job to fill as being being the number one quarterback for the Detroit Lions, but also being that number one father for four girls. Uh, so I think my last communication with Tim was like, wow, man, four girls. Uh, I do not envy you. So I think that was my last conversation to Matthew. But, uh, you know, I have I have and, and, and Don, I see every once in a while. But, uh, you know, I'll tell you this. I. You know, me and my wife are such big fans of the Staffords. Um, we were we were, you know, great friends, both with Matt and Kelly. And to see some of the stuff that they've released lately and talked about lately um, and where their dollars are, like, Matt, actually, he, he gets it. He gets it. And another another reason why it was – I would I would sell out for that guy on the field because I, I you know I didn't want him to be touched because I was you know he was as good enough of, uh, as good of a player he was he was a, he was a, he was a great man too and you could see you can see the way they they are what what he is trying to do you know putting his dollars behind it some of the things they come out with lately about the Lions and you know you know practicing like the people that are being affected are people he has to rely on first. And then second of all, he can recognize that, you know, folks and people of color need his help. And I think that's, uh, I think that's why, you know, Matthew always, he always get the gold star in my book. You know, if I can, if I can get these knees going, I'll come back and sell out for him like I did back then. But that's the thing. I think the world of them. Was this the, because I, for a lot of people, myself included in a lot of ways this is not a, this is a different Matthew Stafford I think that we've seen in the last six months as far as 
being vocal. Was this the Matthew Stafford that you saw in the locker room back then? Or was, was he, like we were talking about, some people not being comfortable enough yet? Or was he still in that mode? But, or was this kind of the guy you saw that just the public wasn't really able to see because that's not who he is at, or was at that time? You know, I, I saw, I, you know, when I came to Lions, Matthew, was, he was young. You know, he was, I think he was second, third year, something like that. I can't remember. Um, and, you know, I'll tell you this. I've seen Matthew grow over over the years. And that was what I was really excited about when I got here was, wow, I get to be around not only Calvin, who was, in my book, one of the best ever, but Matthew, who, and the, those two together, and just watched them grow and watched them kind of move, you know, not just as football players, but as, as men, you know, now. And, and, you know, fathers and husbands. Um, so, um, you know, I, w- I, was, I would say back then, you know, Matthew wasn't maybe as vocal, but I tell you after what Kelly has gone through uh, and what, you know, and four young daughters uh, who, you know, are minorities themselves, uh, you know, I definitely know there is a spark. So, uh, I can't speak. I can't speak for Matthew other than what I've seen. But uh, let's just say I, I've seen him grow over the years. I've known him, and you know, like I said, couldn't be couldn't be prouder to call him my friend. What one more question I have on kind of this this topic is: Are there stories that and that you think about in your that in your past that have maybe come back to the forefront for you in the last six months? Um, you know what, what the thing that it gets me is I, I, when I hear people talk about having that conversation with their kids about, you know, police and if you would get pulled over and things like that, you know, my, my dad was in law enforcement growing up and, you know, he had that conversation with me very early about what to do and how to do it and, and you know, be respectful and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think it's just it's so interesting to me to kind of like hear people talk about that and the pressure that must be. And now that I'm a father and I got a son, seven years old, a daughter, nine, and you know, in a few years, you know, they'll be driving and on their own and released from our grasp. And, you know, the pressure I feel to have to have that conversation and just realizing how much pressure that was for my dad to have that conversation and how much pressure it is for the people of color to have to have that conversation. Like our house has been thrown upside down at times just because the emotion of what's been going on these last couple months and having to console my wife and she realizing that we have a young black son. So um, the things that hit home to me are, are, are really those, you know, not, you know, not stories. In, you know, there are stories in my past of my dad having to, be on me about this, even back when I was, how many years that was ago, 20 years ago, or whatever that is, and it's, now it's my turn to have those conversations, and it's, uh, it does not feel good, you know, it is, uh, the people that are, are there to protect and serve you, and like I said, my dad was in law enforcement, so I say this, uh, you know, I, I say this, you know, with respect to the officers that don't carry on like this, like, it's, it's hard it's hard for the people that protect and serve you to be labeled the enemy or the ones that are supposed to be the ones to help you through life. And, you know, 
know, the people that are the ones you're supposed to depend on in, in your time of need um, are in some regards, the ones that you have to be, you have to fear as well. Like to me, that is, that is, that is something that I'm not looking forward to having that conversation with my kid and any, any of the conversations that I have had with them that have been very uncomfortable. How did you deal? I don't want to say deal if that's not the right word. Like how did you mentally approach that? Because like you said, your dad was in law enforcement and you know, that how, how did you deal with that? Uh, I think like in all things in life, you've got to find the balance, you know, what's the compromise. Um, you know, for me, it was, you know, my dad can leave, leave at night and not come home because somebody on the other side of the coin wanted to kill him, you know, or, or, or wanted to flee from him, whatever the situation may be. Um, and then at the same time, you know, having to, having that same concern on my end. So it, it's very, it was very confusing for me, right? Because I grew up around around cops, around people in law enforcement. And, you know, these people were my uncles and my family and and, and, and and everything like that. But, you know, still, and that, that speaks volumes for what I'm saying, still having the conversation with them about how I need to fear people like them, but aren't them, you know? So... Um, it, it, there's a very fine line and a balance that we can all find. Um, but it is definitely going to take a plan and it's going to take execution. Is that, I mean, it's not based off of what you just said. It sounds like you've already tried to start to figure out a plan of how to talk with your son about it. Yeah. You know, I, I think, um, I think for me, it's just really where we are past the point in this world. Um, where I can let him be innocent, but for, but for so long, you know, um, you know, if you go back in history, you'll see, uh, (laughs) people used to get married earlier. People would be working earlier, you know, things like that. And I think that was just, that would just talk to the, the toughness of the time and what people had to go through. And I think right now we are going through not only a pandemic, but with all the racism we're suffering and, you know, I mean, we get hit by hurricanes and we got fires. Like we got a lot going on. And, and um, you know, I think, I think, you know, like I said, my son's seven. I, I want him to keep his innocence as long as possible. But, you know, at some point very soon, it's going, we're going to have to have a real a big boy conversation, real big boy conversation about how things are as he, as he starts to leave, you know, his, his mom and my, my grasp you know, as he becomes a young man. So um, I think just being open and honest about how things are is, is all we can do. You know, you know, daddy, why are they stopping playing basketball? Why can't we watch the game today? Well, this is why, son. Did, you know, did that conversation happen this week? It did. It did. You know, he know he know he knows I'm a basketball fanatic. And if I come home and it's a basketball game, you know, maybe he's on his iPad or his Nintendo switch, but he's right there with me. He's listening. He's leaning in, trying to understand what's going on with the game and, you know, trying to work on his dribbling and all that outside and, you know, the, the, the fun stuff about being a parent. Um, but, you know, like I said, when you start seeing, you know, things like, uh, you know, there being delays and things like that, you know, obviously that's going to bring conversation in our home. You know, he's listening to that too. You know, there's conversations about that too. And this, you know, Eric, you know, I remember, 
when, when all the protesting was going on, we were actually in Miami visiting my, 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 my in-laws. Um, and um, we having to sit the kids down because people were very emotional, you know, including my wife, you know, my, my mother-in-law, you know, my father-in-law. These are people that grew up in Alabama that understand racism and are looking at their city protesting. Um, on top of that, you got people that are not even protesting that are just looting. Um, and it was a very scary time being stuck in Miami, really dealing with that. And really having to sit my kids down and just, just kind of explain that. And it, it, it is not, it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, I mean, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. I, I just, uh, you know, for many reasons, I couldn't even imagine. Um, right. Thanks for, for sharing that, Rob. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I know I went off on a little tangent there, but uh, you know, man. no, no, not it's at all. I, I think it's something. Yeah. I, I, I hope it's something that listeners of this podcast will, will really, you know, Matt Church was saying that Trey Flowers and it's been kind of their their theme of the spring is to listen, right? Um, yeah. And and I hope people really do listen to what, to what we were just talking about over over the last few minutes on the show. Yeah. Um, this is just an awkward transition, but uh, football, you know, you talked about your dad and obviously played in the league. Is that yep. when you first found the game and found your love for it? Not to, you know, completely awkwardly transition, but uh, yeah. not the best yeah, I could do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know, I think it's probably like this for my son, right? Like, you know, you, all, you you always knew that dad was this person, you know, he, he was a little bit more pop on his name. And when you realized you were his son, it was a little, little bit different, you know, not saying you got everything you wanted, not saying he was a great player, but when you brought up Mickey Sims back in Cleveland, people, oh, I remember him. And you were always like the, 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 the next in line for that. Um, but my dad did a great job with me is he didn't push it on me at all, you know, uh, you know, it, it, he was it was not about, like, you got to play football. He was not about that. It was about being a kid. And one day I woke up, and it was seventh grade, and I was six feet, and I was 250 pounds, and really didn't still didn't know about football. But, you know, hey, Dad, I think I want to try this. And I went out and had some natural talent, as most people would assume. And I think after that is when he really was – he was – not on me, but just shaping not only not only like what I did on the field, but like, okay, this is what your career should look like. These are the mistakes that I made. I only made it three years. You should last much longer. You know, my you know, you need to play offensive line. That's what fits you and your skill set. You need to you need to do this and you need to take care of your body. You need to work harder than I work. You need all this thing. So that's kind of where my drive came from is like running from the mistakes that he made. Um, but he never pushed it on me when I was younger. And, you know, when I got to a place, it was just all about making him proud. And before he passed away, you know, he passed away a month after I was drafted in the NFL, which is a story inside of itself and how I had to overcome that. But, uh, you know, being, him being seeing me drafted, just, just huge, huge for me. I want to go back to something really quick. You were six foot two fifty. Uh, I might be exaggerating uh, back then, <laughs> but 
I was, I mean, I was pretty big. I know leaving, leaving high school, I was like, I was, you know, 6'3", 285. That was like my senior year in high school. Um, 250, that's not, no, that's not seventh grade. I, I was probably 225, though. I was pretty big, man. Yeah, I, was I had like a lot of weight on me. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, because I've seen you lately. <laughs> what are you now? You can tell me you don't want to answer, but what are you now? Oh, man, I'm a, I'm a measly 266 this morning. <laughs> I mean, you know, my wife is like, she's like, I, I didn't even marry this guy. Like, oh, I want the big guy. I want the big guy back. Like, this medium-sized guy, I don't you know. Not, she's not feeling it. <laughs> not feeling it. Was that something that you – not, not to jump too far ahead career-wise, but was that something you had always said? Because I know linemen a lot of times – feel this way that the second you retire like I want to lose a ton of weight like Travis Swanson's a good example of that like I don't know the last time you've seen Travis, but oh I saw Travis gosh, yeah I saw Travis fairly recently and Travis is like a skinny dude now <laughs> yeah he could be like in a boy band Travis looks like he could be like in a boy band he got like a little neck and stuff now it's weird looking that's <laughs> that's my guy though man I love I love Swanee love him love him he's a good dude what, was that something you said, like, when, when you were done playing, you're like, I'm going to do this, like, I need to drop, like, I have, I'm dropping weight, like, or. Yeah, <laughs> you know, okay, kind of back to my, my, you know, my dad's mistakes, you know, I, my dad played at 260, he was 6'8", and uh, when he passed away, he was 6'8", 401. So, you know, I, I knew that I needed to go the other way, you know, period, period, point blank, I need to go the other way. So I think that the heaviest I've ever tipped a scale was 333. Uh, so I, I couldn't feel better at 266 right now. That's awesome. That's <laughs> just <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> I can't feel better. It was good. So when do you realize you're good enough at football that, like you said, you, you had some talent. When do you realize yep. you're good enough to maybe get to the NFL? You know, I, I would say very quickly I understood that uh, at Ohio State, you know, um, uh, high school, I, you know, I was, you know, in my little bubble and, you know, I was the best around there, but, you know, the NFL wasn't really on my radar. I mean, I think at that point, just getting to playing D1 football was the, the biggest thing for me. Like, could I, am I good enough to go to Ohio State was the whole thing for me, you know? Um, and then when I got, but I, when I got to Ohio State, um, you know, Will Smith, who, uh, who actually died tragically in, in a, uh, he was he played for the Saints. Um, he was killed in a you know you know a, a road rage type incident down in New Orleans. Um, but he was one of the best I had ever played. And what I mean to tell you, he beat me up. Like he beat me up, beat me up. And you know, towards the end of the year, you know, I ended up starting a game as a true freshman. Ended up starting a national championship game, and and I. I I give I give the credit to him and him beating me up in practice every single day. And I just realized, like, okay, if this is the best guy around, this guy's All-American, this guy was, you know, he went very high in the draft. I'm like, you know what, if I can if I can play with him now, it took me some time to get there, if I can play with him now, I can play with anybody. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of when I knew, like, okay, I got, a, I got a shot here. How bad would he beat you up early on? Like, oh, it was awful. It was awful. Uh, Craig Krenzel was our, our quarterback back then. I think Craig's actually from Michigan, Sterling Heights, if I can remember. Uh, 
but Will used to pick me up and literally like he would he couldn't hit the quarterback because in practice you know the quarterback wear the red jerseys like they do in the NFL. So he, he literally used to just pick me up and throw me in the Craig, and he would get in, he would get he would get in I would get in, he would get in trouble about it, and then I would of course get 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 uh he'll get in trouble about it. So uh, that's kind of how it went for the good part of the camp freshman year, and uh, I eventually just kind of figured it out. I figured it out. They threw me to the wolves in a couple games, and I figured it out. And by the end of the year, I was actually – I started in the, in the national championship game and left tackle as a true freshman, and we won. <laughs> so, you know, that was the start for me. When, when that – was there ever a point where you're like, listen, man, I get it. You're really, really freaking good, but please really stop good, doing this. You're getting me in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean – how do you say that to a guy you have to go against every day? Fair. Hey, man, don't, don't go that hard anymore. You, he's going to go harder. <laughs> you know, so, shut up, freshman. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, I just kind of stayed quiet and took my whooping. You know, but I, I got some lessons as I took those whoopings. And, uh, you know, it gave me a nine-year career. What What was it, you know, not to kind of skip over the Ohio State part of your, your football career, but what what was it like when – you alluded to a little bit, but when you get drafted and, you know, everything that the lessons you learned from your dad and, and everything that went along with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, like I said, you know, my dad passed literally like a month after I played, he never got to see one game. Um, so I was, you know, I was, I had to move to Seattle, uh, which was great. Seattle was perfect, but you know, it rains there a lot and, you know, people get depressed when it rains. So those first couple of years, you know, I really, you know, football wasn't wasn't clicking, you know. Lo and behold, you know, I got put next to a guy named Walter Jones, who was probably the best left tackle ever. You know, I've just had this – I've been fortunate to be around some of the best ever to do it. You know, just like Calvin is with receiver in my mind, I would say Walter Jones is for left tackle. And, you know, that was – you know, I, at that point I could play with anybody. Uh, but I just, I just really didn't know how to function as a pro. And I think watching Walter, uh, watching young guys like Robbie Tobeck, uh, Chris Gray, you know, these guys are 15, 16-year-old vets, you know, just mean and did not care. Yeah, I was some hotshot rookie from Ohio State. And, you know, you know, these guys would be doing dip, dip during, during, the, during the games, you know, just, just old school. And, uh, you know, I just I just picked up as many nuggets as I could, as quick as I could, put into my game as quick as I could. And I would say by my third year, I was hitting on all cylinders. And uh, I got hurt uh, my third year, missed all of 2008. And going into my, uh, you know, going into my fourth year uh, with Seattle, I really, really started to take off, but then got another injury. So started to get labeled as injury prone. And um, Pete Carroll gets uh, gets traded. I mean, gets uh, gets the job in Seattle, and I go to meet him the first time. I'm like, hey, coach, I'm you know, Rob Sims. Now here, I'm, I'm uh, you know, all intents and purposes, I'm the best lineman on on the Seattle Seahawks at the time. You know, Walter had retired, and I was you know I was starting to come into my own and really really come into my prime. And I remember him just looking at me and Daryl Tapp and being like, "We're gonna trade those guys." So I, I never never got an opportunity to play. Uh, for Pete Carroll 
practice for Pete Carroll, any of that. Like, he came in, first order of business was we got to trade Rob Sims and Daryl Tapp. And uh, they trade, I got traded to Detroit, where fortunately, uh, fortunately for me, um, I'm, I've been able to build my career and um, I've been able to, uh, I've been able to uh, more or less build a, uh, build a life here in Detroit. Um, so um, I started 80 straight games for the Lions, didn't miss one, and uh, some I'm super proud of. And you know, everybody doesn't get to have the stats like Calvin, so I'll take my I'll take my uh, my Cal Ripken Ironman uh, stat and, uh, and and be good with that. Want to go back to what you were saying? Like the first couple of years, was that just you adjusting to the league, or was that partially grieving your dad as well, and maybe? not being fully there because you had this massive loss in your life that takes a long time to get over if you ever go. Yeah. I think on the field, um, I've always been good at being able to like focus on the field. So I think on the, on the football field, it was really just me just getting adjusted. I think what, what a lot of people don't understand about this is like, you know, the Adamican Sioux that we saw three years in was not the Adamican Sioux that I saw when he first came in as a rookie. It was a totally different guy. And I think, I think, yeah, you can see talent, evaluate talent from a collegiate level, but it's something different. It, t- it, it has to translate into becoming a pro. A lot of guys cannot become pros. You know, it's not about their ability, but actually becoming a pro. Is, is different. So I, I think learning how to become a pro was on the field for me. And I learned that from those guys I mentioned earlier. And, you know, but when, when the lights turned off and I left the locker room, I had a huge, huge hole that I was trying to fill with all, you know, whatever, alcohol and, you know, partying and getting to know Seattle and all that good stuff. So um, I don't think they did, they didn't do well, you know, either both sides were a really a struggle. Um, but, uh, you know, hey, you know, through the grace of God, I made it. I made it. And, um, you know, like I said, I didn't have that Hall of Fame career that I, everybody wants. Um, never made never made a uh, Pro Bowl. Although in 2012, I think you would agree, Mike, I deserved it. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but, no, man, I, I, I enjoyed playing the game. I enjoyed it. Did – so was it in that third year where maybe you came out of it off the field as well? And, and you kind of started learning. I call it when my, because my mom, when my mom died, I, the best piece of advice I got was it takes about six months to a year. And then all of a sudden, one day you kind of wake up and it's not normal, but it's kind of the new normal. And that's just what it's going to always be. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I would agree with that. I, I, I think, you know, you know, I, I think for me, I had, the, I had a little added stuff with my mom and sister being back home, my sister being really young. Um, and my, my sister actually works for me in Calvin now, which is, which is unbelievable. But, okay. you know, she, she, uh, you know, she, you know, her being 16 and being in that fragile state, my mom trying to figure out how to pick up the pieces and me not physically being there, uh, being really across the country. Uh, so we dealt with, a, you know, we dealt, we dealt with so much, so I, you know, I, I would say that was fair. I think it all kind of, it kind of all snapped back together for me at the same time. You know, my off the off the field stuff began to slow down, or at least get under control. And then, me as a player, 
the game really slowed down for me and I was ready to kind of walk on my own too. When you get, so you get to Detroit, do you look at that? Were you mad when you got traded or were you like, you know what, maybe this is, this is a good start for me. Uh, uh, I was furious. I was furious. I, I thought, to be honest, I thought like, oh man, you know, mind you, this is, we were just coming off 0-16 and 2-14. and Yeah. And I thought, man, this is where players come to die. Like what just happened in my career? Like I was, I was, I was, I was sitting in a place, you know, Seattle, we had just got a new facility. It was on the water. Everything is beautiful. Everything's green. I'm like, okay, about to buy a new house, get traded, you know? So, uh, you know, about to sign a big deal, get traded. So, uh, at first, you know, my first thing with Detroit was I was not, I was not overly excited about being here. Um, but that changed very, very quickly for me. For the best story ever, uh, Josh Brown, who was our equipment guy back then, he, you know, he's walking me through the facility the first time. And he's like, yeah, 67, right? I'm like, yeah, 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 that's cool, man. And he was like, all right, I'm going to put your locker over here. Uh, it's next to Rayola. Good luck. And he kind of turns the corner and walks off. And I just thought in my mind, like, what is this? But if anybody knows me and Don's relationship, man, we were, you know, as close as brothers and, you know, played together for, you know, those 80 straight games together and, and had a had a good run. And uh, me retiring, a big reason for me retiring was that he was retiring too, or he, he was no longer going to be with the Lions. So uh, that was, uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting coming here. What was that first meeting with Dom like? Oh, man, Mike, you know, I, I don't even know if your podcast is PG or, or what <laughs> it is, man, but you know Dom. You know it was it was it was it, it, I mean as close to horrible as horrible can get probably. You know, I, I can't even imagine. There's so many things. I can't even imagine what the first time was. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. His, his little brother played at Wisconsin when I was at Ohio State, and they beat us in the shoe. Yeah. And Dom already had – and think about this, Mike. Dom already had a reputation as Dominic Rayola. That, that was born in Nebraska. But his brother that was at Wisconsin, I remember, I remember them uh, – them beating us at the shoe and he was mouthing off and we had a big melee fight afterwards. And I remember being in my mind, like, man, I, I don't like them Rayolas, man, bad people. And, uh, you know, but you know, you, you can't, once you get to know somebody, man, but Dom is, you, you know, Dom, man, he is, he is um, one of a kind. One of How about it take that relationship to get where it, where it is now and certainly when, what it was, uh, when you were playing, like, did that happen fairly instantaneously, or did that take time because Dom is Dom? Uh, you know, uh, you, you know, I think you know we connected first on the field. I think uh, me and him just fit so good together, playing together, right? Because he was just unbelievable brainiac. The oracles, what we used to call him, he could see anything. He could see the blitz before it happened. He has so much knowledge. And, you know, I could play the bodyguard role where I kept people off of him and kept people off of Bacchus. And, you know, I could handle my own one-on-one. And um, I, was a, I was a decently athletic pulling guard. So I think me and him, first and foremost, we just kind of hit it off as being line mates. We could, we could play ball together. Um, and I think after that, man, I, I just think me and him were just on the opposite ends of the spectrum. And, you know, opposites attract. 
so the things that he would say or do were just the most taboo things to me ever. And I, I, I don't know if I just envied that, that he was that free. And maybe he envied me because I was that controlled. I don't, I don't, I don't really know how to, how to put it, but we, we hit it off. We hit it off pretty quick, me and him. Did, was it something that by the time you like are in that close friendship, you look and be like, how the hell did this happen? <laughs> oh my goodness, man. I, I, I look back on them times like, you know, that that got me in, in trouble. You know what I mean? I, I would realize sometimes, you know what, man, I, I you know, I, I can, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be here with you, man. You are, you, you're a nut, man. You're crazy. You know, I think the first, first time we went downtown Detroit hanging out, man, I think he like jumped in some fountain and was swimming in the fountain. And I'm just being like, man, this, this guy, man, you are unbelievable. So he was, Dom is one, like I said, he's one of a kind, man. He, he's, 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 he, he's something else. Is that when you're like, hey, I'm still the new guy here. Like, if if I get caught doing this, who knows what will happen? I mean, exactly, man. Exactly, man. The guy just – he had been there so long, and he showed me so many parts of Detroit and just what – oh, man. Long story, man. Long, long – that's another podcast. That's another podcast. I, I'll come on and talk Rayola one day. Oh, my God. That's, that's, that, that takes forever. What What – so, Dom aside, you get to Detroit. Like you said, you meet Matthew pretty early. You meet Calvin pretty early. When yep. did that – because that seemed to be that, that group of, like, four, right? The four of you seem to become really close pretty quickly. Yep. When yep. is – is that just because of what happens on the field in 11? Or is that – like – and is that part of maybe why you had the success you did in 11? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I think when you talk about those four as being like kind of the core of the guys that that stretch we were on there, that 11 through 14 stretch we had, and that that core, uh, you know, I, I think that is a big part of our success. I would remember games we would be behind and like going up to Calvin and being like, "Hey, man, I got my guys. You get yours. You know what I mean? Let's get let's let's win this game. You know, and." we having that relationship and it being that open and you don't see that on all the teams and just hanging out as a family, the wives hanging out together, everybody knowing each other, everybody being close, you know, it, it don't, it just, it, it just takes a few guys to have that core. And even though, you know, guys left people like Nate Burleson, I would throw in that mix and, and um, Reggie, I would throw in that bit in that mix, you know, I think golden at the tail end of that thing, I would throw in that mix and, you know, that group on offense, man, you know, for me and Dom, it was like, you know, we looked at, we looked at Matthew, like little brother, like, man, we, we, no one's going to touch you. You know, it was like unnecessary roughness. No one's going to touch you, Mr. Blake. You know what I mean? So it was kind of like that. What, is there a moment from Stafford or Calvin, I mean, Calvin, I'm sure, but okay. is there a moment from Stafford or Calvin that you can kind of look back at and be like, I can't believe I was on the field when that happened, or I can't, believe that I witnessed that and was part of that I mean uh, for Calvin for sure it was the you know when he broke the record you know I can still remember the play when he's like kind of slanting he's kind of coming across the field he catches it and we really knew that was it and he had it and I remember being like wow man this I mean he just broke the record he broke Jerry Rice's record just now 
and watching Kyle like trot over, it only takes him five steps to get to the other side of the field. He step, he runs over our sidelines, and his dad is there. And I was just like, man, that's the cool. And being somebody who's you know who, who lost his father, I was just like, man, that is the coolest thing in the world. And wow, like I had the vantage point, like the ball whipped right over my head, you know. And as small of a victory that is, like I'm keeping it. Like no, when Calvin wrote the record, uh, Matthew threw the ball past me. You know what I mean? Like, I get excited about stuff like that. And I think uh, uh, Matthew definitely, uh, the Dallas in the, in the, um, at, um, at Fort Field, uh, where, you know, that comeback where, no, I mean, nobody knew, you know, he was going to jump across the goal line like that. I mean, it was just like, oh, man, this, this guy is savvy. You know, Matthew's turned into this savvy quarterback now. So, uh, it was, uh, it, it was, man, I, it, it's so many memories, man. I, I Another Dallas game where Calvin was just literally dunking on people at will. You know, it was a, he did that and he did that in Oakland one year when he was just, I mean, just literally manhandling people. And you know, I would be on the field sometimes and hear like, uh, hear like, you know, different. You know, we play Green Bay. You know, you hear you hear some of the DBs were playing playing to the refs. Like he he pushed me, he pushed me. It's just the frustration that he, they couldn't they can't play with him. And having somebody that was that superior, they can't. They just couldn't play with him. You mentioned the Dallas game with Stafford. Two questions there. One was that the most surprising out of nowhere moment you had in your career? The the fake spike goal line score yeah. to win the game. And secondly, that was also Calvin's like three hundred and twenty nine yard. I think that was three twenty nine game. Like, did that almost in the locker room get overshadowed because of what had happened with Matthew? Absolutely. In my mind, it did. In my, in my mind, that's ridiculous that I don't even put those two and two together. You know what I mean? But for me, the only person in, in the stadium that knew what was going to happen was Matthew. And that's why that, that blew me away. Like, man, this, this guy, I mean, we have no play call for that. We don't even have that play call. Like fake spike jump over. Like, no, that was, that was Matthew. He just took a risk. I was like, man, this guy got some balls, man. This guy here is serious. And, uh, you know, that, that's a shame that Calvin's three, 329 game got overshadowed by that. Because, uh, I mean, yeah, Calvin, I mean, they, they were brilliant together, man. They were brilliant. brilliant. Was that, that, that play, right? Like, I don't remember it exactly, but did Matthew run past you or over you in that? Because he ran over a lineman, if I remember correctly. He, he split me and Dom. If you look at it, if you look at it, man, he kind of like bumps me and I can kind of bump forward. And he went right in between me and Dom. Were you just and like, what What the hell's going on? <laughs> I didn't even realize. I mean, it, it, I mean, it was a touchdown and Reggie was running over to him by the time I realized what happened. I didn't even know. He like jumped on my shoulder plans. I was like, what are you doing? It was a touchdown. I was like, oh, okay. That's cool. <laughs> just like, <laughs> like, wait, wait. We uh, won? Like what? <laughs> what happened? What happened? It happened so quick. It happened so quick. I remember just getting up, like, oh, we got to spike the ball. And I remember, like, running up there, like, where is Riley Reef? And then I hear Matthew, like, calling for Riley. And then I'm like, oh, okay, we're good. We're going to spike it. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm old. I'm an old vet now. I'm lazy. I get up to the line and just kind of, you know, said hut. And I kind of stand up. And like you said, he jumps over me. Like, That's so cool. That's so cool. What was 14 like? Because obviously that was your last year. And also, arguably, the most successful year the Lions have had in the last – since 91, 93, you know, somewhere in there. Um, yep. 
what was that season like in the locker room on the field like stuff that people didn't because I mean I covered I was covering y'all at that point so I saw some of it but what was it like for people that like that stuff that people didn't see about that team and that season you know I would just I really would say Jim Caldwell uh, I think he came in and he brought a different kind of culture and a different type of feel to what we were trying to do. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, that was his first or second year? That was, second that was year? his first year. Towards his last that was his, year. Well, that, 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 even, that even, you know, speaks volumes because, you know, and, and Coach Schwartz did a great job of building that team up. Don't get me wrong. I think that was – we had a great team. And Coach Schwartz, you know, he, he took us a, a, a long way. Uh, but I think Caldwell came in and he was the right man for the job to kind of switch the culture up. And, and, you know, he was so authentic that I think he let players be authentic. And, you know, we had real conversations about getting better. And he had, you know, the real beauty of a head coach to me is, you know, if he can get the 53 guys to all row the same way. And we were just – we were there together. You know, we had some injuries. I said I necessarily wasn't at my best that year. Uh, Reggie was in and out of the lineup a little bit that year. Um, you know, Kyle was, you know, Kyle was Kyle dealing with stuff he was dealing with because they had tried to beat that man up. But, um, you know, just, just you know, the defense was stacked. And, I mean, me, me and Kyle talk all the time about that team and how good we really were. And, um, you know, from a personnel point of view, I mean, I haven't been on a team that had more talent than that and that was led by that. And, you know, I just, you know, it's unfortunate that we didn't really get to get past that Dallas call to just see what was possible because we were dangerous. We were a dangerous team. Is that one of the biggest regrets you have in your career is that that, that season and that team ended as it did? Yeah, I would say so. You know, you know fortunately, it's never going to end the way you want it to end. Uh, but my la- that was my last game in the NFL was that game and watching, uh, you know, obviously, you know, talk about vantage points and, and being on the field, you know, seeing that call, you know, having having literally the best seat in the house to see that call and then not being called. Um, to me, that was that was one of my biggest regrets because, you know, you know, in the playoffs, anything goes. And the one thing about those Lions and the offense that we had, is that we could turn it on and turn it off when we wanted to. And, you know, we could always, we could play from behind. And there was something about us where we were just like, you know what, we can get it done. And then you had, you had Indomit and Sue that was in the first year of his prime and it was unbelievable. And you had another, you know, you had great leaders like Stephen Tulloch, you know, Levy was doing his thing. You had, you know, you had, you know, Glover Quinn and Hedebo. You had, you know, a solid vets across the board. You had young talent, and you you had you had the best the best two tandem to play the game of catch ever, in my opinion. You know, put them two. You know, if you want to go play catch, I would, I'm picking them two first. You know, as a ta- as a group. So um, we were just super dangerous, and and uh, it's unfortunate, man. It's unfortunate. Did you know that that was going to be your lot? Like that that season was going to be it, or that game? I mean, obviously, that game that season. Did you know walking off the field in Dallas that that would be it? 
Yeah, I was, you know, I, you know, I was thinking, uh, you know, a lot about where I was as a player. Um, I always told myself when I saw my game digress, you know, that I was going to move on. You know, I had all these other things in real estate I wanted to pursue and all this kind of stuff, all the stuff I was working on off the field. And I just said, you know what, you know, I, I had, I had, you know, I had fought for 80 games to stay on the field. It wasn't, it wasn't easy. Uh, my knee had seen its better, better days and my performance was kind of, uh, my performance was showing of that. I was, you know, thank God I was able to, you know, come back and make an, make an impact, but I wasn't, I wasn't the same Rob and I, ne I wasn't going to be ever again. Um, I could have, I played more years, of course. Um, the Lions had offered me a contract to play, but I, you know, at that time, I kind of had a feeling what they were going to do with Dom. And, uh, you know, I, I really wanted to play with Dom. You know, it was like a Michael, Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson thing. You know, I shouldn't have to choose to play with another center. So I have options. I, that was my attitude. Like, I don't know if you saw the last dance. But, oh, yeah. Uh, um, so I knew what they were going to do with him. Um, and, um, you know, for, for, for me, I knew my, my game was coming down. I knew my dollar would come down because of that. I didn't want to be put into a position where I was getting paid league minimum, but asked to do a lot more uh, than where my body would have been at the time. You know, it had been different if it was, hey, you, you come ride the bench and, and, and help us bring these young guys along for this. If that was the conversation, I probably would have. Uh, but um, at the time, you know, my craft was still at a, a place where anybody you would have brought in, I, I would have shown better than they would have. You would have been able to trust me more than they would have. Um, and you probably would have played me as a starter. And um, I just didn't think it was really fair to myself or my family to keep going on. So um, I had a feeling um, and just sad it had to end like that. Did it feel in the locker room after that Dallas loss like it was the end of an era in a lot of ways? Because you're got, you, you end up retiring, Dom ends up yep. retiring, Reggie is cut, uh, yep. Sue, everyone – kind of figured that he was probably leaving, fairly was likely leaving. Like, did it feel like that in that locker room after the game? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody knew. Everybody knew it, it would be different, you know. Um, you know, we all, you know, we all knew when Dominican was on his way out. He, I mean, he deserved to go capture the top dollar. He deserved that. He was he's an unbelievable player. Um, you know, me, me and Dom, it was just, a, you know, it was the, our time was up. You know, and, uh, you know, even, I, I even knew then that, you know, Kyle wouldn't be along much longer. You know, I, I had the feeling that if we were to leave, um, if we didn't keep that core together, that eventually, you know, Kyle would be there too. He, had, he really just didn't have any more to prove. So, um, yeah, I just – I had that feeling that, 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 you know, the writing was on the wall for that, that core group of guys. Did he – did Cal – Calvin talked to you about that during the 15 season or, or even after the 14 season when he was kicking around, maybe leaving at that point when you and Dom and, and Reggie were all leaving. Like what were the, did you, the two of you have conversations about that? Because I know he kept it super private for so long. Yeah. You know, me and him had some, some early conversations. Um, his birthday, he had a big, uh, you know, he had a big party over his house. Um, and, uh, you know, he, you know, he was, just, he was, he was, he was there. He was there. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, that's, that's more of a conversation for him, but, yeah. 
you know, he, you know, he, he for sure was, he was, he was talking about it, you know? So, um, you know, some, sometimes how I was, you know, you know, as, as a player, um, you know, you, you, those, those miles start adding up, you know, it's, it's not as easy. You're not that, you're not, you don't pop out of bed like you used to, you don't pop off the ground like you used to anymore. And, um, like I said, there's there's more to life than just ball. So, um, yeah, I, we we had some we had some conversations about it. But like I said, that's that's a that's a conversation for him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just a couple more questions that I typically try to end with. One is, when you look back at your career, what's that one memory or moment that sticks out for you? That like when people say, "Hey, like, so what was it like for you that you you go to?" That's like your default. Oh man. Hundred percent, hands down, it was that Monday night football game against the Bears. That was uh, I can't think. Was that eleven? Was that eleven? Twelve? I think 13? it was eleven. Yeah, I think it was eleven. No, um, no, 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 no. It's when we they, we played here. We were both undefeated. We were five and zero. They were five and zero. And I just remember, uh, I remember Michael Buffer did the announcement. Because it was like, you know, all Monday night football. It was like, you know, heavyweight fight, Bears versus the Lions. Um, and I just remember him being, I was like, wow, that's that's Michael Buffer. He's about to announce me. And then I remember <laughs> I remember coming through there and then uh, Nate Burleson comes out with the pink boxing glove for breast cancer awareness month. And I was like, you know, Nate, me and Nate played together in Seattle. So, I mean, that's that's one of my guys, too, you know, that I came up with and uh I was, I've always been a big fan of names. Just like, man, that's just so cool. Like, you know, linemen can't do cool stuff like that. Like, you know, <laughs> you, you just can't. You don't look right. You, you, you're heavy, and, you know, you, you just don't – it doesn't look right. Uh, so, um, you know, watching watching Nate do that, and then we just went out there and just put together one of the best games I've ever been a part of. So, by, by far, playing the Bears at home, that Monday night football, uh, yeah, that's my number one, for sure. You mentioned, obviously, Nate, and I meant to ask you this about when you mentioned Daryl Tapp. Did did that ever come up? Like, you and Nate talking about, like, hey, we were in Seattle, and now we're here, and then Tapp shows up in 14, ends up being your last year. <laughs> it's like, hey, we both were in that same conversation of getting traded from Seattle, and we both end up in Detroit. Like, how does that happen? <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, I spent me and me and Nate spent eight years in the same huddle on two different teams. I mean, that's crazy when you think about that. Uh, you know, we never missed we never missed a year together in that eight year stretch. You know, he he came to the Lions on on free agent. They traded me here. Um, so I've been I've been you know you know the way the huddle set up. I've been looking at Nate and his visor, and you know you know Nate a pretty boy, so he all prettied up stuff like that. So I've been looking at that dude for you know eight years of my career. You know, he was just very familiar, you know, good friend, you know, been through a lot with him. Um, and then Daryl Tapman, I mean, that's that's my guy, man. Me and Daryl were roommates when we were rookies uh, for camp. Uh, we were we were rookies for roommates for camp for like two years. I was in Daryl's wedding. Uh, he was uh, when he came to when he came when he came. A lot of people don't know this. When he came to Detroit. Uh, he he and his wife hadn't moved yet, yeah. and he lived. I mean, he lived with me the the first season he he came here. He lived with my family. You know, he had like an apartment in the basement, and it was just <laughs> so that 
I, me and me and Tab still we talk on Instagram every single day. We just laugh at people, other people, and jokes. We do that every day. Uh, and uh, you know what I mean. That's uh, that's my guy, man. So like I said, I, I came up with those guys. You know, me and you know Tap was drafted in, in the second round. Uh, I was the next pick, but in the fourth round for the first Seahawks, man. So me and him hit it off. Unbelievable. Used to carpool to work back in Seattle, if you can believe it, man. Two snot-nosed freshmen. I mean, rookies. All right, I got to notice because I mean, Daryl's been on the show, and I know you know Daryl. I've I know Daryl pretty well, I think, and. When you lived together, like, did either one of you get an like a word in edgewise? Like, what was that like? Because both of you talk a lot. <laughs> uh, we got. I don't know. We got a balance, man. You know, we just we just go back and forth. But it, it's it's funny. It is just constant laughter, and you know, Tap. He is. You know, his his positivity is at a plus plus plus. You know what yes. I mean? So it's. Yeah. So he is just everything is super positive, you know. The kids love it. Hey, Uncle Daryl, they love they love him. You know, you know we love his little ones. We love little Deuce and Taylor. You know, they used to they used to stay here when they would come into town and Tiff. Uh, you know, and I know, uh, you know, I know, you know, I know his parents really well. He knows my parents, you know, my mom really really well, and his I know his brothers well. I mean, we we zoom during this pandemic. Uh, you know, connected to families and just said hi. And, uh, you know, it, 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 he's a bunch of fun, man. He's, he's a bunch of fun. So he's at Virginia Tech right now. So I'm just happy for him. He's at, he's at Virginia Tech, man, trying to trying to get his coaching career going. So. Yeah, I know. We talked during the pandemic, actually, about that. And it was – he. I'm not surprised he's a coach. Like, just that energy no. he has. <laughs> no, no. That, that's per, he's perfect for that. He's perfect. Yeah, perfect to be a coach. He'll be a, he'll be a good one one day too. He'll be in the league. He'll, he will absolutely, absolutely, man. He's got the right attitude. So this is always the last question I ask guys, or the last series of whatever. Who is the best trash talker you ever faced, and what was the best piece of trash talk you ever heard? Best trash talker. Uh, it's got to be Dominic Rayola for sure. Um, Dom with you know best trash tackle ever. Uh, it's the Wisconsin band incident uh, where he kind of cussed out the band, Wisconsin band at Green Bay. Uh, he told a tuba player that he needed to eat a hot dog, fat boy. Uh, Green Bay fans, uh, he hated absolutely uh, when we used to uh, when we used to uh, go through our warmups and stuff like that. We used to run the field. And, uh, you know, I remember, <laughs> you know, I mean, oh, we hate you, Rayola, because they hated him just as bad. And it'd be, you know, middle fingers and, you know, curse words and stuff like that. And, you know, you know like I said, I, I, I wish I could tell you what he said to this guy, but I, I just don't, I don't think it's appropriate. That's a question for Dom. But, yeah. it, it, but, but, but I, I'll tell you, man, the, the guy, the guy didn't shut up. You weren't going to beat him. And trash talking. You weren't gonna beat him. I don't care who you were. You ain't gonna beat him. And conversely, what's like the worst piece of trash talk that has anyone has tried to throw at you? Where you were just like, "Are you really coming at me with that?" Oh my gosh, man. Yeah. I mean, when you know, when, when when players call you fat boy or something like that, I've heard guys say that call like a, a, a lineman fat. Like, you know, man, I, I've been I've been big my whole life, man. You know what I mean, like. I, 
no, that's not going to phase me. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're going to line up again, and I'm going to get at you. You know what I mean? And you're going to take this weapon. And that's it. And so I, I think, uh, I, I think you know, I've heard it's weird, man. You know, skill guys, man, they think they're so, they think they're so damn good. I think they're so damn good. I like to see them come in those trenches. It's a different story down there. Different beast. <laughs> uh, Rob, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, man, I enjoyed that. That was fun, man. I love talking shop. Awesome. I want to thank my guest on today's show, former Lions offensive lineman, Rob Sims. Hopefully you took something from that episode I thought when we talked a little bit about social justice and about the Lions protest from last month that it was something really powerful and I thought the rest of the conversation was incredibly interesting as well hopefully like I said there's something you can take from that we're always looking out for who you want to hear from so if there's a player a coach a fan a celebrity that you want us to interview then just let us know and and we'll try to make it happen want to say thank you to all of you because we know you have many options for your Lions podcast needs and we're glad that you stick around at least with us for a little while. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. You can follow me on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. Feel free to download and subscribe this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and if it's on Apple and iTunes, feel free to please leave us a five-star review and with that, we will chat with you tomorrow. The wait is over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. And get, take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.